This episode of the Fastest Known Podcast is brought to you by Chasky Endurance Collective. Chasky is an online coaching business. You can find them at chasky.run. Here's what makes them different. They've handpicked elite athletes who have multiple coaching certifications and then provided them with months of coaching training. There are some big name athletes on their coaching roster, many of whom have been featured on fastestknowntime.com, like Corey Waltering, Devin Yanko, and Mike Wardian, just to name a few. They have over 20 coaches on the staff. The best attribute is their community approach. They harness the power of working together by sharing knowledge and experience and then fostering connection with the athletes. The group has brought the power of the running community onto a digital platform. Plus, they do a lot more than just one-on-one online coaching. They've got a weekly runner strength and yoga series happening now. They've had a handful of big events like the treadmill record race last year, and they're even planning some retreats and trips later in 2021. They've got a special offer for Fastest Known podcast listeners where you can get a free month of coaching when you sign up for any of their programs and mention this podcast. Just check them out at chasky.run, that's C-H-A-S-K-I dot R-U-N, and learn more about this unique coaching experience. Well, Hillary, what do you think? Are we going to start a new category for the fastest known skinny dip? Yeah, although I was thinking uh, this might be a nice calendar, FKT calendar edition for photos, um, you know, of oh, skinny dip. We'll see. <laughs> that's a good idea. We could have different skinny dips each month of the year. That's brilliant. We could make some serious money on that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've got some guests here to talk about it. So We, we have <laughs> Mr. and Mr. December. Indeed, we're speaking with Rob Krar and Mike Foote. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. <clears throat> hey, this is Rob. Uh, thanks, Buzz. Hillary, great seeing you and happy to be on the podcast. Well, excellent. Well, Rob, you're speaking with us from Flagstaff, Arizona. I think most people listening have heard your name. But quick reminder, You've won the Western States 100 twice, 14 and 15, the Leadville 100, and countless other things. I was looking on, as I often do, Ultra Sign Up. And a quick review here. I'm just going to do this super quick because otherwise you're going to get embarrassed and hang up. First place, first place, first place, first place, first place, first place. Oops, here's a second. You slipped up on that one, Rob. But people can go in the written show notes. And definitely see your bio. Kidding aside, you're a fantastic, fantastic ultra runner and outdoor athlete. And uh, sorry, now I'm going to embarrass you, Mike. Pardon me for doing this, but the same thing for you. And actually, you guys have done some things together. The North Face Endurance Challenge, for example. But you're up there in Missoula, Montana. And you've got a lot of results for yourself. And you know, from schemo to ultra running, and you've been second at the Hard Rock 100 twice, third at UTMB, third at UTMF. And so, again, this could go on for the entire podcast, but we'll call it good at that. So thanks again for joining us. And you two are qualified for what we're really going to talk about, which is rim to rim to rim alt. So what's the genesis of this? Obviously, this is the 
the route that sort of complements the, the well-known rim-to-rim-to-rim, but downstream, and of course, the big issue there is there's no bridge. So what made you guys decide to do this in December? It's a bit nippy. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is Mike. Uh, you know, the rim-to-rim-to-rim all, I believe, Buzz, were you one of the first folks to uh, maybe establish or attempt this route? Is that correct? I, I named it, yes. There you go. Yeah, so the just in... In a nutshell, the rim to rim to rim all is similar in statistics and metrics, you know, a little over 40 miles, um, 11 or somewhere between 11 and 13,000 feet of climbing, depending on whose watch you're looking at. Um, but beyond that, it's not very similar at all to the, the normal main corridor on the Kaibab trails in the Grand Canyon. Uh, a lot more navigation, a lot more route finding, much more rugged trail when there is trail, uh, specifically on the north side. Uh, a lot of navigating and just following washes and, um, you know, not, not really much of a trail at all. And then as you alluded to the big, uh, crux of the entire adventure is, is not having a bridge to cross the Colorado river two times as you go out and back. And so, yeah, the, the route has been on, on my radar for a couple of years as something to aspire towards doing someday. And, uh, frankly, as we all uh, experienced in 2020, it's, you know, I was going a little stir crazy towards the end of the year and looking for a fun adventure. And Rob and I have a long history of doing stupid, big, stupid things together, big, dumb things together um, all over the world, which has been really fun. And so uh, I just got a wild hair one day and sent him a text asking him if he was interested. And Rob, you were down there in Flagstaff, so that's a hour drive for you. <laughs> you know, I have a a long history of running in the Grand Canyon. I've had some of uh, my most magical days of my running career and running experience, and I've also had some of my most frightening and desperate days below the rim of the Grand Canyon. Uh, so I, I didn't take uh, Mike's offer lightly when I received the text December 15th and I slept on it. And the next morning I sent him a uh, reply uh, kindly uh, uh, saying no to his idea, wishing him <laughs> luck, uh, uh, thinking I would either freeze to death or <clears throat> be incapable of, of making the crossing. But uh, as Mike mentioned, I'm a, I'm a sucker for uh, BDIs, big dumb ideas, and I just couldn't get the thought out of my head. And a couple of days later, uh, I actually did a, a, a scouting trip uh, to the South Pass Trail, made uh, my way down to the river and got a visual on the crossing. And, uh, you know, one thing to point out is is on our, our scouting trip, it was a beautiful sunny day, maybe mid 50s at the river. And uh uh, that really added to the calmness and confidence looking at the river. And I said out loud to uh, my wife, Christine, our friend Buck, who made the, the, the recon as well, that if it's just sunny and warm uh, on the, the day of the FKT, things will be okay. Uh, but it didn't quite turn out that way. Oh, is that right? That's interesting. Well, this is, this is you did this on New Year's Eve, December 31st, so... Mike's from Missoula. I say, okay, fine. You know, he's crazy. He lives in Montana. But how about you, Rob? I mean, how were you relating to 
uh, one of the coldest days of the year to jump in the river. Well, give me some credit. Remember, I am from Canada. <laughs> right. You're right. Point. However, one of my uh, least favorite activities uh, in the world is jumping into cold water. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it's interesting. It's a very, very difficult route. And in some ways, the crux is crossing the river uh, on paper. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it, it it's it's such it was such a mental mental challenge. Um, you know, waking up in the tent uh, the night before where we were camping, being freezing cold in a minus 20 degree bag. Uh, that was difficult for me to wrap my head around jumping in the Colorado River just a few hours later. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a calculated risk. I didn't have any uh, fear of getting ourselves into trouble. It was really just the, the, the mental challenge of, um, taking that first uh, jump into the Colorado and make our way, making our way across. So then what was the, he said, not really the crux, like what would you describe the, the crux of the route is? Because I think honestly it might be, it would be, you know, doing it on the return trip, knowing that you had to do it twice. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point, Hillary. It was, it, it absolutely was. I think the mental, uh, just doing it for the first time, there's that big mental block, but having done it once and knowing what you're getting yourself into is almost just as bad. And, you know, getting, I will say, I mean, this is an incredible route. And uh, I just want to say the spirit of the route is so great in that you can do a rim to rim to rim crossing of the Grand Canyon and, and on almost any day of the year and not see another person out there. And that's just such a special thing. And, you know, uh, Rob can speak to this at some point, but, you know, we both felt pretty rough at the top of the uh, North Rim. I mean, you're going up into the snow. It's cloudy. There was a snow squall on the South Rim at that point. Um, you're cold again. You're tired. You're hungry. You know, you got to go all the way back down on this non-existent trail back to the river and then take your clothes off and jump in the river again. And, you know, that that second crossing was probably maybe a minute, minute and a half longer in the water, which is just long enough to get us properly shivering on the second, uh, you know, uh, take out where we were, we're trying to put our clothes on and get our gear back together. And I think there's a video that, you know, Rob's wife, Christine, Christina took that was, you know, I'm, I'm just like stuffing things into pockets, but not knowing where anything's going. Cause I'm like umbling and fumbling a bit and, you know, Rob's taken a while to, you know, zip stuff up. And yeah, I think that was probably the most exposed we were, you know, you're tired, your, uh, your body isn't regulating temperature well. So yeah, that was probably the, the low point of the day in a lot of ways, but also great to have that behind us. Well, then as Rob said, you're up there on the South Rim. It's cold. It's not warm up there in December at all. And you're thinking, wow, I'm going to go down there and jump in the water. And we should note that this is all dam release. So that's part of the research I did initially, which means the temperature actually doesn't change that much year round. So if you go down there in July, it's the water is still cold. But since it's coming out from underneath the dam, it gets a little colder in December, but it's going to be cold. So that, as Rob said, is very mental. Wow. But, Mike, coming back, you have no choice. <laughs> I mean, you're going back across that river or you're going to spend the next week over there because there's, uh, like you say, there's no other option. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
one of the one of the things we uh, we we kidded about before uh, making the attempt was uh, the idea of losing our dry bag uh, in the Colorado River and standing on the north side of the Colorado River naked uh, and wondering exactly what we would do. And uh, funny enough, we had discussed about double knotting, triple knotting our dry bags to our P cord, which was wrapped around and tied around our waist. And uh, funny thing, uh, Mike's knot uh, came loose and his dry bag started drifting away from him. Thankfully, in the calmer water on the north side, but uh, our premonitions almost came true on that one. What? <laughs> yeah, that's my fault. I, I, I can tie almost any knot out there, and I just did a quick square knot, and instead of doing double fishermen's on either side to keep it nice and tight, uh, I didn't do that, and it came undone. <laughs> Luckily, I noticed last second. Um, and to give Rob some credit, you know, talking about him being from Arizona and me from Montana, I'm, I'm the one who wanted to carry down heavy wetsuit or a heavy pack raft. And uh, after multiple appeals to Rob to not skinny dip across the Colorado twice on this attempt, he, uh, he you know, he, he just said, no, we're going to, this is how we're going to do it. It's the fastest and therefore the safest way, which I also, I often think that safety that speed equals safety when you're out there. And um, I thought in, in hindsight, I think there's no other way I would do it moving forward by getting rid of the weight of all this gear of something like a wetsuit or a um, pack raft. We were able to bring puffy jackets, small towels, things like that. And uh, I, yeah, I would highly recommend doing it the way that we did it. One of the, one of the, um, one of the moments that, that helped change my mind from the time I said no to Mike to the time I said yes was was thinking about the river crossing. And, you know, I'm a, a very lightweight, um, minimal um, adventurer. And I, I didn't I didn't it wasn't speaking to me to carry a wetsuit down there and carry it back up and take the time to get in and out. And I thought back to my my triathlon days, putting on a wetsuit and jumping into a cold lake. It was still really cold, and it took a lot of time to get in and out of that wetsuit. So it was a very calculated um, decision or a thought process in um, running minimally to the river and very quickly getting undressed, swimming across, and within 30 seconds having a down puffy jacket jacket back on our bodies. Um, so, you know, it, from an outside perspective, it may look risky or, or, or colder, um, but undoubtedly it was the uh, most efficient way to stay warm uh, after crossing the river. Well, Hillary, Mike just described how he didn't tie his knot correctly and the dry bag almost floated away, leaving him stranded naked on the other side. And Rob just said how he thinks that going naked into 50 degree water is better idea. So Hillary, are you ready to go on an adventure with these two? Oh yeah. I mean, I thought that they just decided to do, you know, the take the rim to rim to rim alternative route um, to the next level and like add sex appeal. That's what I thought they were going for, you know, but <laughs> I brought my, they, you know, they did that. very logical, logical side. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> We had, well, Rob, let's we had with many reasons for attempting this route, and uh, some are less known than others, Hillary. 
Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Wow. This is this, you. I. Wow. This this podcast could go longer than forty five minutes. <laughs> That's fantastic information. Seriously, though, and as you mentioned, uh, Mike, the root is is amazing. The reason I named it that is this came up at the time where the Rangers and the Park Service was cracking down on rim to rim. What was happening is that Las Vegas running stores were doing tours. They're taking, you know, 40-person passenger buses to the North Rim and say, okay, we'll pick you up at the South Rim. And people were going down there who didn't really know what they were doing. They dropped, like, goo wrappers in the trail, which just horrified me. As, you know, any trail runner to litter is just unthinkable. And people were having to get rescued by rangers. Maybe they'd poop next to the trail. And I was like, whoa, no, no, this isn't what we do. And so this, as you mentioned, Rob, is the same elevation profile as the Kaibab Trail, but there is no bridge, so there's nobody there. So that's how the alt got its name. So thank you for describing it so well. And I would like to say, if I may, all kidding aside, that it's a serious route. You two are some of the best. <laughs> I mean, literally. And so in case anyone's listening to this, do not attempt this unless you are as good as Rob and Mike, because otherwise this could get bad and to be rescued by rangers isn't really what we want to have happen. Yeah, agreed. It's uh, it's not to be taken lightly. I think Mike and I uh, are very comfortable with our ability levels and even our comfort with each other, uh, understanding that we're both confident and staying calm if something did go wrong. Uh, but the last thing we want to do is put others uh, at risk and in danger um, by setting ourselves up for trouble. So uh, please think uh, think very very long and hard before uh, attempting to cross the Colorado River on anything other than the two footbridges at the bottom of Kaibab and Bright Angel Trail. Right. Thanks for saying that. Well, going back to that crossing, I, I, we don't want to run that one to ground, but heck, it's very interesting. Rob, you proposed something. So, hmm, that the quick change is safer. So you're saying, I think, Rob, that you're going to go down there, you're going to have your body heat going up. You're going to be high metabolism. And if you just go right in, you're going to maintain some of that body heat for the swim across. Well, if you stop to put on a wetsuit, which provides more warmth, and I should actually note a little more flotation, you think that is less safe because it takes a little more time. I wouldn't call it less safe. And, and I, I, I wouldn't even describe it as maintaining body heat. I think the, the biggest factor is getting to the other side, having been submerged in sub 50 degree water for two to three minutes. It's really being able to warm ourselves up as quickly as possible. Um, so one thought process was instead of bringing a wetsuit, let's replace that volume and weight with a, a down uh, puffy jacket. And also, um, you know, I, I remember struggling to get out of wetsuits um, in my triathlon days. So to be able to have that puffy on within 30 seconds of getting out of the river, instead of struggling in very cold temperatures, it was uh, about freezing air temperature um, after the crossing. Uh, that played a big role in making that decision to forego the wetsuits. And again, like you said, um, wetsuits do provide a certain amount of flotation and safety. And that went back to, you know, analyzing and feeling confident in our, our abilities to swim across the river as well. 
Got yeah, you. Yeah. Now, Mike, are you a white? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just reading something about Mike, are you um, hypother- hypothermia and you um, like actually the, the most dangerous part, as Rob just said, is like what like the transition time. It's like maybe hypothermia can set in in 50 degree water, like in a matter of 10 minutes. But it's actually the combination of like the wind and the weather uh, once you get out of the water that can actually sap you of more energy. So, yeah. That makes sense. Now, Mike, are you a whitewater kayaker? Because I've seen you uh, down there on uh, the Colorado River outside of Moab, I think. Yeah. uh, No, I am not a whitewater kayaker. I I do have experience as a just whitewater rafter and and raft guide in Montana. Uh, I've rode every, I've rode the entire stretch of uh, the Colorado River on a private permit. So definitely know that river well and know rivers well and how they work and have a ton of respect for them. <laughs> gotcha. Well, as Hillary said, there's metrics. You can go online and see the metric of the, the water temperature and the time before you start to become dysfunctional. But as Rob said, you if you're a good swimmer, you can get across within that time. So, Mike, with your river experience, you've, you were convinced of the veracity of the let's just go for it style. And after having done it, do you still feel that's the best way to go? For our skill sets, yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Well, uh, there's, there's a number of, of moments that, that really stick out in my mind, and I'll, I'll remember uh, surrounding this FKT, but <clears throat> the night before in our living room, uh, Mike pulled out a, a, a pack raft, and uh, I was actually quite fascinated. I had no idea how small, light, and compact uh, they were. Uh <laughs> And Mike uh, attempted to inflate it in a reasonable amount of time, and it was very, very obvious that that was not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a fun moment in our preparation. Yeah, that, the that night put the nail in the coffin of bringing the pack raft. <laughs> that was the moment I knew, and and I was really wishing we had that pack raft when we started our watches on the South Bass Trailhead, and it was seven degrees outside. <laughs> Whoa. So, well, another another sort of um, uh, picture I had in my mind was I've never been in a pack raft. We're going to stick two people in it, and the chances of capsizing, I think, would be um, reasonable. So I pictured us, we'd still need to take all our clothes off, put them in a dry bag. So I pictured Mike and I naked on a very tiny pack raft rowing across the Grand Canyon <laughs> or the Grand <laughs> Colorado River. And uh, you know that I think that may have been the nail in the coffin for me, Mike. Yeah, yeah, that would have been I, a good picture. Yeah, that that would have been next level. I don't think I would have. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm comfortable with you, Rob, but I don't know if I want to spoon you on a little pack raft across the Colorado. <laughs> I mean, you guys are teammates, so maybe it's just like brings it to the next level. But that's actually something I wanted to ask you about because both of you have done, you know, FKTs, um, you know, self supported or supported but solo efforts um can you guys speak to the the team effort that was involved in this um because i I think that's that's hard because you're not necessarily maybe when you're struggling someone else is doing you know doing better um did you think that there like were there moments where you were able to bring each other up oh i'm i'm so glad you asked that i've been thinking about this a lot and i was hoping we would talk about it today the you know, I could be wrong, but I feel like the spirit of this route is to do it with a partner. 
Um, you know, when you're crossing the river, the how how removed you are from or how far out there you are on the North Rim. Uh, you know, Rob and I have had, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of fun adventures together, whether it's doing ski mountaineering racing here in the U.S. or stage racing at some of the biggest ski mo races in the world over in France at Pierrementa. Um, you know, being teammates on the North Face for years and doing a bunch of races together. Uh, it's it's such a, like, it just adds a whole other layer to the experience to have a partner when you're out there. Um, whether it's something as simple as just navigating well, like we, uh, you know, again, having spent a lot of time together, Rob and I aren't chit-chatting the whole time, you know, we're just trying to move efficiently near one another. Some of us taking pulls up front at different times. I mean, there's probably two dozen times where I would go off route and Rob would find the, find the track and say, Oh, this way. And so we were working together very well and probably only a half dozen times where I was the one who actually told Rob to go a certain way. But, uh, you know, that, that aspect is huge. And, and honestly, I, I think I love doing things alone. I train alone all the time. I, I'm totally fine with that, but there's these special moments where you get to share in an experience and it galvanizes that relationship even further. And, uh, you know, this, that's definitely the experience I had with Rob in this trip was, uh, to be able to share in some big adventure, help each other through the low points, help each other stay on track and succeed together just adds a deeper layer of like satisfaction to it, especially after a year. I mean, frankly, of spending a lot of time alone due to quarantine and COVID and, uh, not having those shared experiences as often. So for me, that was probably one of the biggest takeaways of this entire uh, trip. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better, Mike. Um, I don't think this experience is something I would remember nearly as fondly uh, if I had done it solo and 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 run the same time uh yeah it's 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 fantastic and uh i love the team aspect you know mike and i have such a good uh friendship and relationship and understanding uh, i like to call it comfortable silence we did a lot of that out there just staying focused in the moment um and yeah you know another another moment that really sticks out in my mind is uh approaching the north rim uh, you know, overall 2020 was a, a rough year for myself as, as it was for many others. And, um, I would describe my fitness as slightly underprepared for this effort. So I knew I was, I was going someplace that, uh, I hadn't gone in a long time. And with about a mile to go, uh, to the North Rim, we were getting into the, into the snow level again. And I hit my lowest point of the day. <clears throat> And uh, probably the most desperate I've ever felt below the rim of the Grand Canyon being approximately 20 miles from any type of civilization or, or, or help. You know, th th there's nothing on the North Rim. You're 30 miles away from, from Jacob Lake. All the lakes are closed. And we still had to make our way to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, swim across, and climb back up to the South Rim. So it was a tough moment. And, uh, you know, it was... It was comforting knowing I had Mike there, even though Mike, I couldn't hop on Mike's back and he couldn't pick me, piggyback me back to the South Rim. But it was good. You know, we, we both remained calm. Um, I regrouped, got some calories in me and managed to, to bounce back. But uh, there's something about having a, a friend out there that makes the experience all the more special. Wow, this is a great conversation. I really appreciate this. This brings back, if I may, my same thoughts with Peter Backlund, my longtime partner, when we did this together, many other things. And 
when in the world of FKT, sometimes you get into this weird debate about solo supported, unsupported, things like that. But really, when people write in, we always write back saying, do what works best, right? Do what's right. And you two are mountain people. You know what I'm, I'm saying here. You're not going for an FKT. You're not trying to find the soft spot and hitting it. You're trying to travel appropriately in the backcountry. And I, I really appreciate your words where, why are you doing this? Are you doing this to get a record? Are you doing this to have a great experience? And your experience clearly was enhanced by going with each other. Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I think, you know, very similar to my racing, uh, I, I never think about hitting a time or breaking a record in a race. And I approach this FKT very similarly. You know, if in my mind, and one of the reasons I feel I can, I can stand on the starting line or stand on the South Bass Trail uh, so calmly, despite, you know, the, the, the difficult uh, hours ahead, um, is that if, if we move efficiently and, and in a smart manner, the time is going to work itself out. It is what it is. There's no worry about chasing a time. Uh, and, and I really appreciated that approach, uh, for the, the rim to rim to rim alt FKT, um, especially with the river crossing, you know, at that, at that moment, I was confident with our decision to, to forego a wetsuit. Um, again, if, if we were smart and took care of ourselves, the time would fall in place. And, uh, uh, it was exciting to to follow that approach. Wow, wow, this is impressive. Well, you um, mentioned Rob that you've had uh, some frightening and desperate things take place before below the rim, but nothing like that this time. It sounds like you know you had a little bit of a bonk approaching the north rim, but other than that, things went well. Would you like to share some other uh, things that maybe didn't go so well in the big ditch? Oh man, <clears throat> you know, certainly one that, that, that sticks out prominently is, uh, preparation for the 2015 Western States hundred mile. Um, one of my final training runs, it was about a 35 miler classic route down Kaibab, um, a couple miles out and back on North Kaibab and then up the bright angel trail. And, uh, you know, lesson learned, I was nursing just a little bit of a niggle in my shin and uh, was doubting whether I should go go down or not, but I did. Um, and I distinctly remember there's a sandy section connecting the Kaibab Trail to Bright Angel Trail. And this is, you know, uh, late May, early June. So it's 100 degrees plus in the b- bottom of the ca- Grand Canyon. Running through sand is never an enjoyable experience. I remember stubbing my toe and just lunging and that movement of saving myself from falling triggered something in my muscle and and I, I it it got me to a point where I I couldn't run and I was going to be walking the rest of the way and uh, I remember sitting down uh my friend uh I was running with had had, had gone forward which uh, you know I, I probably I would have done as well but I remember sitting on on the sand staring at the Colorado River wondering how in the world am I going to get myself back up the 5,000 feet to the south rim so that was quite a desperate moment um Thankfully, my friend came down and, and joined me for the last mile. But yeah, that was a pretty pretty desperate moment, staring at the Colorado River with uh, so much climbing to go. Wow, that's a good one. I'm going to ask you in a second, Mike. But first, Rob, you just triggered something when you said you're looking at the Colorado River. You might have heard this. It wasn't When was this? About five years ago, a very good female runner 
she was quite good. She was running on the Tonto. I think she was connecting the Bright Angel and the Kaibab along the Tonto Rim, but, you know, a real reasonable route. But she somehow ran out of water. And you know how that goes. It's, it's hot down there, except when you guys did it. But normally it's hot down there. And I think she saw the river and she went down toward the river. She went down a little bit of a cliff band, couldn't get back up. And she sat there on a ledge right above the river, could not get to the river and died. And that's a tough way to pass. That's not fun. Freezing to death, you kind of don't feel anything. But heat prostration and dehydration is not a pleasant way to go. So again, don't want to sound like uh, Debbie Downer here, but it's it's a serious place. What about you, Mike? Wow. Yeah, that sounds really, really horrible. Yeah. Um, can you remind me of the question, Buzz? <laughs> well, Rob just well, gave what are some of my low points? <laughs> well, yeah. Or, you know, Rob, Rob just mentioned that he had a little bit of an injury, probably was going very fast and light, didn't have a ton of water. So he had to slog 5,000 vertical feet back up. And as you know, in the big ditch, if you turn around, you're actually going up. Well, if you go up a mountain, you turn around, you're going down. So, uh, Mike, any thoughts from you? That's why I live in the mountains, Buzz, because I can start <laughs> by climbing and end by descending. <laughs> it's so it's such a unique experience to to finish on the uphill. But I will say, I love I love I actually do enjoy going uphill more than downhill, or at least I should say, my confidence is more in the ascents versus the descents. So I. I appreciate that about the Grand King and how you can just settle into a hard climb at the end. And, uh, yeah. Um, are you curious if I've had low points in the Grand Canyon or just generally in, in, in life? Anything you want to share, Mike? <laughs> um, yeah, I, just, I mean, just like Rob, I, I mean, I've had, had a lot of really hard days and either in you know the desert or in the mountains and uh i think as long as we can be curious and we can learn from them they can shape and inform how we move forward and i think that's really important um i think that's my biggest takeaway of these really really memorable low points i think as long as we can use them for as as data points along the way to um, learn from and, and tweak how we handle things that'll keep us healthy and safe in the future. Okay. Well, Mike, you and I had a conversation a number of years ago, I still distinctly recall, is about schemo, ski mountaineering. And uh, Rob, of course, has become very good at that. You're good at that and experience. And I think our conversation revolved around ultra runners are very fit, right? So they got great endurance, but do they have skills? And so you end up with this interesting paradigm where an ultra runner can get themselves into more trouble than an average person because they have the fitness to bury themselves pretty deeply, but possibly not the skill set to get out. hundred percent. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. We have this ability to go deep into the mountains or to move really fast on, on skis high, like going up and going down, maybe without the right skill sets and, I mean, I've learned that the hard way. I consider myself to be a great skier, but I've also cracked. I mean, I've I've been at the world championships in Switzerland and separated my shoulder and cracked a couple ribs. And I mean, the 
the traumatic injuries that can come with high speed sports are, are real. I mean, we, we all know that obviously Hillary knows that. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, it's, 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 and we have this ability to go, go far and go deep with very little. And while I mentioned earlier that like speed is safety, which I, I do believe in that there's also an element of risk and exposure that comes with all the things that we do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'll add to that. Um, I started ski mountaineering back in, in 2012 and, and, and still utilize it as a training method. It's an amazing way to get in the mountains and be, and be alone or, with, or surrounded by very few people. And Mike and I had some amazing adventures racing here in, in the, in North America and also what comes to mind is a four-day stage race called Pierramenta uh, in France. And on the very final stage, um, I took a fall coming down uh, a slope with a lot of powder. And uh, ski mountaineering, especially racing in a team uh, where you have that team aspect, and you don't want to let your pe- uh, partner down. I was definitely taking some, some not unnecessary risk, but understandable risks. I remember being midair in this fall and feeling as if time had stopped and thinking to myself, okay, this is, this is the moment where I break my leg. And somehow I didn't and made it to the finish line. But uh, uh, the risk of racing ski mountaineering became too great. And that was actually my last ski mountaining mountaineering race ever. And I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll race again, um, but I will continue to use it as a, a, a training tool. Wow. I did not know that. What year was that, Rob? I want to say it was 2016 or 2017. Mm-hmm. And Mike, yeah. are you continuing to schemo? Yeah, yes. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time, I'm I'm less motivated this winter due to obvious global circumstances with with COVID, but uh yeah, for me it's it's more of just balancing energy levels throughout the year. I think having being a dual sport athlete's really great and that they both sports complement each other. As Rob said, I mean, I can't think of a better way to move through the mountains in the winter here in Montana. And I can't think of another sport that can get me more aerobically strong and efficient. Yet at the same time, I have a tendency, like a lot of people in the ultra endurance space to overdo it. And, uh, you know, by doing a full season of racing in the winter, only to jump into a full season of racing and adventures in the summer, uh, you know, that worked out well for me for about three years. And then I had a couple of years of being a little bit more inconsistent because it turns out you need to rest every once in a while. <laughs> and so I think schema is something I will continue to do because I just love the movement. I love the sport, but I'll probably do it more judiciously and in the competitions and the objectives I choose. I got it. And it does, does have that subjective nature, if I may add. I mean, if you're on rock, there's a certain stability. There's a certain experience and skill level that can be engaged. But when you're on snow, the snow can move. <laughs> As you know, that's called an avalanche. And unlike in Hollywood movies, you can't outrun an avalanche. So there's this added, if I will say so, danger to being in the mountains in the winter. Absolutely. It, it it has to inform every single thing you do in the backcountry and you need to be incredibly well-educated and experienced to, to really play in the mountains and expose yourself to that. Well, Hillary, someone made a little allusion here. Uh, what thoughts are entering your mind here? I'm going to ask because your thoughts are certainly going through your mind when we're talking about injuries in the mountains. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I actually think I realized from 
um, an early time in my career that the skills necessary to kind of like race schemo, like uh, what Rob and, and Mike do, it was kind of not in my wheelhouse. Like I grew up skiing, but um, on, you know, going on skinny skis down kind of like techie things <laughs> in Colorado or, you know, in, um, in a place like Europe, like I've been to the Pyramenta course um, in the summertime and it's pretty gnarly terrain. Like I don't, I couldn't see myself skiing that. So I think I realized from an early time in my career that I wanted to focus on running. And now I'm a, I'm a dual sport athlete, but more with cycling. Um, and I'll use, you know, schemo for training, but I think it's a really big thing to consider of the technical skills that are required for different sports. And if that can lead to unnecessary injuries or not, I mean, Buzz and I, we've been on, you know, bike rides and some adventures here in the front range this winter. And we've always had the conversation of, you know, when we're going over ice spots and, you know, it's just not worth the risk. And, for me, especially after a huge mountain accident that changed the trajectory of my running career, but also just, um, you know, my perspective as an athlete, I, I always have that in the back of my mind. Um, and I would much rather be able to do something to be in the mountains, whether it's on skis, my two feet or a bike, um, you know, for the long term rather than, you know, get too caught up in the competition or um, that spirit to kind of where the risk would outweigh, in my opinion, the benefit. Um, but yeah, maybe some people call me soft now, but I just call it a, a wise perspective. <laughs> I think that's a smart mindset to have. Uh, I, I like to I describe my adventuring as, um, you know, calculated risk. And I think another way to describe it is I, I really enjoy and prefer uh, what I would describe as low risk, high consequence adventures. Um, you know, the Grand Canyon FKT is, is a great example of, of being very calculated in our decision making. There's a very low risk of getting ourselves in trouble. And I, I think that's that's similar to why I, I, I decided not to, to ski race anymore because uh, ski racing, ski mountaineering racing to me is is not low risk, high consequence. It's high risk and high consequence. Mm -hmm. And that that crossed uh, the threshold for me. Well, Alex Honnold had that same observation, in fact. Uh, <laughs> Alex, boy, if anyone should know, he should know. And he mentioned scrambling is like that, where you're it's very unlikely to fall. But if you do, you're going to die. Uh, so it's an interesting metric. So thanks for identifying that, Rob. Okay, you two. So what's, uh, what, what would you have to say to people listening to this podcast? I mean, Rob, you want to say to people, uh, come to the Grand Canyon, do this, this, or that. What? And Mike, you got to get yourself ready for this because I'm going to ask you the same question here in a second. What would you have to say to people listening to this podcast? Here you go. This is this is it. Uh, well, uh, undoubtedly, the Grand Canyon is a is a magical place, and I'm so fortunate to have it. What I, what I describe in my backyard, you know, it's about a 90 minute drive to the trailheads, and uh, it's it's a uh, it's a place that I, I hope everybody can experience. Uh, as Buzz mentioned earlier, it is getting busier and busier. And uh, the, the consequences of getting yourself into trouble below the rim of the Grand Canyon cannot be overstated. Um, there's very few places in the world where you can begin a run with 5,000 feet of descending. Um, and 
the the risk of running out of water or blowing your quads out, which will mean a very long and grueling hike back to the top. Uh, it can be miserable. Um, and there's 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 something about people having their minds they just have to get to the Colorado River. And while that is a, a pretty cool thing to experience, one of my favorite uh, uh, corridors or routes in the Grand Canyon is the is the Tonto Trail. And that is such a, an amazing loop down the Bright Angel, or sorry, down the Kaibab Trail. Make your way about two thirds to the river. You still get beautiful views of the river, and then you get about four and a half miles on the Tonto, which uh, follows the contours of the canyon. There's very few people on it. You make your way back up the Bright Angel Trail, which has multiple locations to refill your water bottles. Uh, that's a great, great, great choice to make. Be safe out there. Um, and uh and, and enjoy the magical experience your turn mike yeah i'm just sitting here thinking uh, i think the big takeaway for me from from this adventure with rob is you know choose goals and objectives that inspire you i mean i you know i appreciate everything that you and the whole fastest known time team you know do buzz like going onto your website and just like perusing other routes out there and, um, you know, digging into the, for this example, the art art to our all and seeing what people have done. I mean, I think that's great. And I, I, you made a good point earlier. It's not necessarily about going and trying to get some record. It's about finding some objective that, that really pulls you forward and draws you in and inspires you and, you know, is still really challenging, but maybe you can accomplish it. Like I think, I think that's what's going to provide the most value for people's efforts. And I, I don't think it, I think it sometimes can get lost when people are just like, Oh, this route or that route. I think, you know, ask yourself, is this uh, a goal that really inspires me that I'm going to be excited about between today and when I get to the start line, whatever that is. And um, you know, the, the grand Canyon trip for me filled all those niches. It was, it was a great sweet spot. And that's why it was such a valuable experience Anything from you, Hillary? Well, this is what I love about FKTs is that it just allows you to be creative and to get creative. And seeing what other people do, it kind of inspires me to kind of, you know, get out of my own comfort zone. Um, and, yeah, just exploring a new place. So whether whether or not I have a specific route in mind, it's just kind of inspiring me to, for, for me in particular, be combining different sports and, you know, trying, trying a new route um, or, you know, um, for, for me, it's like glacier travel in you know, the Pacific Northwest with, with a partner, um, you know, like testing my skills in a safe way, um, but kind of leading to uh, a, an awesome adventure. And for me, it's all about the process and leading up to that goal setting and then, you know, accomplishing it. And, you know, maybe it'd be a cool FKT in the process. Well, thank you, Mike and Rob. That was, I mean, that was exciting. That was interesting. And Remarkable words of wisdom. I kept writing things down, jotting down notes. Boy, people really need to hear this. So hopefully they did hear it because I, I heard it. I really appreciate you too. Thank you very much. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. Thanks for having us on. And thanks for all your hard work. Uh, I think what you're doing is helping a lot of people get out the door and find different ways to push their bodies and their minds during a, a pretty difficult time in all of our, all of our lives. Amen. Amen.